You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. doesn't care. He's not interested even in your abilities. He's not interested in your intelligence. Thank you, Lord. He's not interested in how smart you are. They were uneducated. They were untrained men, but they knew they'd been with Jesus. God is interested in your heart. God is interested in the intrinsic worth that you have inside your heart. That's where God looked. When God wants to use a person, man, he looks right into that heart. He said, this is a heart that I can use because this is a heart that's towards me, all towards me. And I want to use this heart. God's not interested in how you look or how smart you are. What God looks at is your heart. In today's message, Pastor Dave will challenge you to not worry about the outward things, but to work on the inward things so your life reflects that of Christ. When people meet you, do they know that you spend your time with Jesus? Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of John chapter 7 as he continues his message, Misled, Misguided, Misjudged. Religion and religious leaders can be wrong just as any establishment or anyone else can be wrong. No one is exempt from failing. No one is exempt from falling. No one is exempt from coming up short because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are all sinners. I am no different than you. I am a sinner saved by God's grace and God's grace alone. I just happen to be a man that God has put here to do these things. But we're all the same. Do not elevate anyone. Do not elevate anyone. This is why Jesus came. He came to point out this misconception. He came to correct it. And he came to forgive sin. For God so loved the world. We studied that. Jesus also came to pass judgment on those who didn't believe in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Those who wouldn't repent and receive God's forgiveness. We read about that in John 3, verses 18 and 19. My encouragement for you today, my encouragement for you today as it would be in any other day, put your faith, put your trust, put your hope in the only one who is worthy and deserves that faith, trust, and hope, and his name is Jesus Christ. Put your faith, put your hope, put your trust in no man to the point where you supersede Jesus Christ because man will always fail you. I'm sorry. It is not my intent to fail any one of you for my love for you. It's not my intent to do that. But I might. I might. We're not above anything. Christ is the head. It's all about you, Jesus. It's all about you. My job is simple. Direct you to him. That's simple. Direct you to the one who can heal you, to the one who can forgive you, to the one who is the way to heaven. That's what we do here. We direct you to him. We don't direct you to us. We direct you to him. Look to him. So the religious leaders misled the people. They 
deceived them, making them think that Jesus was a mad person. The religious leaders also misguided the people. Look at verses 22 and 23. Jesus answered and said, I did one work and you all marvel. Moses therefore gave you circumcision, not that it was from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses should not be broken, are you angry with me because I made a man completely well on the Sabbath? Remember, to misguide simply means to misdirect. They were taking their eyes off of the God's commandments and putting them on their tradition and what they thought. Jesus' argument is simple. I did one work. I healed a man on the Sabbath. It was simple. He knew it. Jesus owned right up to it. He did it. They all knew it. Jesus owned up to it. I healed a man on the Sabbath. Which work were you speaking of? He was speaking about chapter 5 when he healed the lame man at the pool of Bethesda. He was speaking about that man. I did one work on the Sabbath. What are you talking about? What's wrong with you? I did one work. Basically, Jesus was saying that here is all that according to the law of Moses. The law of Moses states that when a child is born, a male child is born, eight days later, he must be circumcised. That was the law. And he's saying, if a child is born and eight days later, it's a Sabbath, you circumcise the child because it's in the law. Now, According to the Mishnah, remember the Mishnah is one of the oral interpretations of the law. Their interpretation was the commandment to circumcise overrides the commandment of the Sabbath. They circumvented the commandment of the Sabbath. In other words, they applied the law of the Sabbath whenever they wanted to. Whenever they wanted to. Hit or miss. They applied the law of the Sabbath. They held their oral law greater esteem than the commandments of God. And Jesus railed about that in Mark 7 when the disciples did not wash their hands before they ate and the Pharisees got all over the disciples for not cleansing themselves. Jesus says, you lay aside the commandment of God and you hold the traditions of men, the washings of pitchers and cups and many other such things. All too well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. That's what they were doing. Their tradition became more important than the commandment of God. Their tradition became more important. Jesus condemned their hypocrisy. It was evident by their pride and their outward observance of the law, but inward spiritually, they weren't observing the law. They were arrogant. And their belief was that they were more religious than anyone else. The religious leaders were more interested in the outward sign of circumcision than the inward sign of the heart. Where's your focus? Are you focused on someone's outward appearance? Or are you focused on what's happening in someone's heart? What's happening in their heart? These religious leaders were leading people astray. They falsely and hypocritically accused Jesus of breaking their law on the Sabbath. And yet they themselves broke it every time they circumcised a child on the Sabbath. Even though Jesus did a great work, he caused a lame man to walk. Forty years after being lame, he caused them to walk. He says, so what is it? Is it okay to do good on the Sabbath? Is it okay to do good? Jesus refused to be bound by the letter of the law. One commentator says this, quote, 
It seems that Jesus intentionally performed many miracles of healing on the Sabbath day just to make a point with the religious leaders about their blindness of keeping the letter of the law at the cost of what the law really required. Jesus told the religious leaders in context of the Sabbath dispute, if you had known what this means, I desire compassion and not sacrifice, you would have not condemned the innocent. He says, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath? Jesus is making a point. Many today are being misguided in the teaching of the Word of God. They're being misguided. God's Word has now become secondary in the church. The cross doesn't count for anything anymore. Jesus' sacrifice is being discounted and laid aside. No one's teaching on those things. In fact, there are those that are teaching that the cross has lost its power. That it no longer has the power to forgive. There's no preaching of sin. There's no preaching of repentance. There's no preaching of forgiveness. There's no preaching of consequences for abandoning Christ's sacrifice. You don't hear that in many places. Well, my friends, my loved ones, as J. Vernon McGee would say, my beloved, I care for you too much not to tell you those things. I care for you too much not to tell you that there needs to be repentance. Not to tell you that the cross is the only way to eternal life. Not to tell you that Jesus came to die for you and you and you and you and you and everybody in this room. I care enough for you to tell you that Jesus is the only way to heaven. There is no other way. And if you choose another way, you will have to answer to him and him alone, not me. You have to answer to him. And I'm here to tell you that today, if you do choose that other way, there are consequences. And the main consequence is eternal separation from God. They call it hell. And God does not send anyone there. It's a choice that you make in your heart to reject what happened on the cross. I'm here to tell you that today because I love you. Because I need to tell you that. You need to have that guarded in your heart today. You need to have that solidified in your heart and know that that is the truth of what God says. The religious leader misled the people. They misguided the people. And this led the people to misjudge who Jesus was. They began judging by appearance, not with righteous judgment. Look at verse 24. Jesus speaks and says, Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. Notice he didn't say we couldn't judge. He just said, don't judge according to appearance. Judge with righteous judgment. We'll get to that in a minute. Jesus accused the people, you're judging incorrectly, he says. They were looking at the appearances. They were looking at the, this was contrary to the law of justice. It was contrary to the law of life. To the people, the Messiah could come in glory. He would be like a God, and he would be something to behold. Jesus didn't come that way. Jesus came in the form of a servant. He came in the likeness of sinful flesh. He had no form or comeliness that would be drawn to him. Their judgment was only by outward appearances. We studied 1 Samuel. The nation wanted a king. And God gave them Saul, a good-looking, strapping man, tall, taller than anyone in the kingdom, good-looking, well-poised, wealthy. And we all know that that didn't work out very well. There are some problems with that. So God chose a little ruddy guy, a small in stature, a shepherd who was dirty and did nothing but spend time with his sheep because they had a heart after God's. His name was David. And God says, I'm not interested in outward appearances. I look upon the heart, 
and I see what's in a man's heart. That's 1 Samuel 16, 7, paraphrase. God is not interested if you have letters after your name. PhD, QRS, TUV. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter the initials after your name or what you place in for your name. Pastor, Revlin, Holy Raccoon. I don't care what it is that you place in front of your name. Grand Poopa. I don't care. God doesn't care. God doesn't care. He's not interested even in your abilities. He's not interested in your intelligence. Thank you, Lord. He's not interested in how smart you are. They were uneducated. They were untrained men, but they knew they'd been with Jesus. God is interested in your heart. God is interested in the intrinsic worth that you have inside your heart. That's where God looks. When God wants to use a person, man, he looks right into that heart. He said, this is a heart that I can use because this is a heart that's towards me, all towards me, and I want to use this heart. I love the description in Acts 6. When the men were having problems feeding the multitudes. And there was a conversation about the people. They were mad because the Hellenist Greeks thought that their widows were being slighted with the distribution of food. And I love this. I love this description. So the disciples, or the Gaul, got together and they said, we've got to study the Word of God. We've got to get ready so that we can preach. We need help here to wait on the tables. We can't be doing this. So in Acts 6, listen to what they said. And I love this. Therefore, brethren... Seek out among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, and we may appoint them to our business. All these things were intrinsically in them. All these things were inside of them. They weren't outward appearances. They looked inside of man. They said, use these men. The disciples were more interested in what was in a man's heart than what his image was. And the idea behind full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom is that they wanted men who were spiritually minded, trusting in the Holy Spirit. The Spirit was evident in their lives. One commentator said this, They must be able men, fearing God, men of truth, hating covetousness, whose men's were toward God in all things. Unquote. People today are being misled. They're being misguided and we're misjudging. People are not reading their word. They're not gleaning from it the truths that are on the inside. And even when they do read their word, they don't apply the word correctly in their lives. They want to apply it to everybody else's life except them. I mean, come on. I've done it. You've all done it. You sit there, you hear a good message, you go, why isn't this person here? This message was for them. No. No, the message is for you. You're here. Messages for you. I've done it. Gee, I wish my wife was here to hear that. No, I'm sorry, babe. <laughs> How many of you, and you don't have to raise your hand because I know you do it, and if you don't, if you don't think you do, well then, hey. How many of you make a judgment of a person solely on what you see? How many of you, if somebody walked in all tatted up with earrings all over the place and stuff like that, you would make a judgment like, really? Come on. Come on. You know you would. How many of you see a person come in the door and somebody else says, oh, I know that person. And you make your judgment over what they say. How many of you do that? Come on. You know you do. You know you do. We're human. You know you do. We make judgment based on those things. We make judgment based on wrong information because you're misled and you're misguided. You don't know the word of truth. Why do you think Lady Justice, scales, sword, blindfold, 
She has a blindfold, so she is non-partial. There is no partiality with God. God looks at all the same because he looks into your heart. We know the truth is found in God's word. We can judge righteously. But in Matthew 7 is those caveat, those warnings in Matthew 7. Matthew 7 carries a strict warning. Matthew 7 says, judge not that you shall be judged. For with what judgment you judge will be used to judge against you. It will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? And I always take it one step further. I said, before I looked at the speck in my brother's eye, i got to take the railroad tie out of my eye. And we get scared of judgment, and that's good. Being afraid of judgment is good, because the way you judge is the way you will be judged. Jesus is saying, don't judge. He's saying, judge righteously. Clean your act up with God. There's a scripture in Galatians 6 that says, if a brother is overtaken in a sin, you being a spiritual brother need to go to that brother and you need to restore them. Well, I guarantee before you go to that brother, that railroad tie better be out of your eye. You better clean up your act, get right with God, and then you can go to that brother in love and help them out. And that's how you do it. I mean, after all, Finding minor flaws and ignoring major flaws in ourselves. Oh, that person does. I mean, I've said this before. My sin looks horrible on you guys. It looks so bad on me, but more on you guys? <laughs> Don't judge unfairly. Don't judge unfairly. This happens from prejudice when I don't consider all the facts. I've already formed conclusions about somebody by their appearance and by the way they look. I ignore certain evidence and then I might pass it off. I've been misled or been misguided. I don't judge in mercy. I don't judge in forgiveness as I've been forgiven by the Lord. How can I possibly judge anybody because I was once in their spot? I was once right where they were. It might not be the same sin, but I was right where they were. Dare I judge someone? Dare I say? Whew. What kind of spirit seeks to condemn? A self-righteous spirit. One that feels superior like the Pharisees. They love to condemn. If you look at 1 Corinthians 13, it's the opposite of the Spirit. Love thinks no evil. Love hopes all things. Love believes all things. The judgment forbidden is one which condemns. Not so much what the person has done, but the person himself. Christ did not come to condemn. Christ came to save. Remember that Jesus called for a righteousness that was what? greater than that of the Pharisees. In a way, some people think, it makes us think that we're more self-righteous, and therefore I can be the judge. The Jews depended upon their education and the authorities, and they received Dar's doctrine secondhand. Jesus received his doctrine from God the Father. He received his doctrine firsthand. These religious leaders were attempting to kill Jesus, and yet at the same time, they claimed to understand God's truth. They didn't understand it. And that's the problem I'm giving here today. We misjudge because we don't understand God's truth. If we truly knew what happened on that cross, if we truly accepted it and had it come deep inside, you wouldn't look at me at anybody with false hope. You would look at everybody and try to look at them through the eyes of Jesus Christ with love, the way he loved you. Satan offered Adam and Eve knowledge, but the knowledge was based on disobedience. Jesus offers the knowledge based on obedience, but we have a responsibility, and that's to know the truth of God.
G. Campbell Morgan said this, quote, when men are holy and completely consecrated to the will of God and want to do that above anything else, then they find out that Christ's teaching is divine and it is a teaching of God, unquote. Don't be misled by false hope and false words. Don't be misled by false acts of kindness or even false humility. Don't allow yourself to be misguided into false doctrine. Read God's word for yourself. Glean from it the real truth. What will you find in God's word? Truth. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Truth. Our sin separates us from God. Truth. Jesus loves you. Truth. Jesus offers fellowship with the Father through his sacrifice on the cross for our sin. Truth. Jesus died and was buried. Truth. Jesus rose again on the third day, defeating death in the grave. Truth. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever should believe upon him should not perish but have everlasting life. Truth, we can have this everlasting life by confessing our sin, repenting, and believing that Jesus is Lord. Truth, Jesus ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father. Truth, Jesus is returning one day to collect his bride. Jesus is returning to collect those that believe in him and that to come in him. Do you know these truths? And have they changed your lives? Because if they haven't, you need to go back and revisit these truths and dig into the word of God yourself. Dig into the word of God and tear it apart and chew on it and meditate on it and let it become you. Let it become your whole worth. There's a theme here. We talked about this on Wednesday night. Mark talked about it on Monday. There's a theme going on here, folks. In these last days, we must know the truth. And God has spoken through various times through the prophets and the forefathers. But in these last days, he has chosen to spoke to his son, Jesus Christ. Are you listening? Are you listening? Take from this today, love. I love you enough to present this to you in a loving way. I'm not trying to be harsh. I'm not trying to single anybody out. If you feel single out, you need to go to the boss. You need to go to the one who can take care of you. Because that's the Holy Spirit tapping on you and saying, we got some things to work on. Believe me, when I studied this and I wrote this, he constantly tapped on my shoulder. Constantly was tapping on my shoulder. We need to work these things out because these are the truth that set people free. And if the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. Free indeed. Free from the burden of guilt. Free from the burden of sin. Free to walk as a Christian and enjoy the life that God has given you. I've come that they may have life and life more abundant. Oh my. It's the victorious life of a Christian. Walking in freedom. Walking with your head high because God loves you. God has called you his son, his daughter. God has sent a way that you might come back to him through Jesus Christ. That's the truth. There is no truth other than the word of God. Please, please, listen to what the Spirit is saying to the church today. You are a The Gospel of John was written from a perspective that provides an eyewitness account of what happened during the life of Jesus here on earth. 
Different than the other three Gospels, John's book describes Jesus in ways that confirm him as the Son of God. There are things done and said that can only point to Jesus being far more powerful than what a human could do. In the Old Testament, God referred to himself as, I am. In this book, John recounts how Jesus said, I am the light of the world, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and I am the resurrection and the life. These were bold statements, but Jesus proved throughout his ministry that they were indeed true. He lived a life that compelled people to follow at that time, to seek him out, and to commit their lives. And we can also follow him today. If you missed any part of today's teaching, or you'd like to listen to additional messages from Pastor Dave, visit AssureHopeRadio.com. Perhaps you were listening, you realized that you have some questions about faith, and maybe even about salvation. We'd be happy to talk with you and provide some resources to answer your questions. Give us a call at 609-884-5821. Again, that's 609-884-5821. You can also click on the Jesus tab at AssureHopeRadio.com. This will provide you with a succinct picture of who Jesus is and how he can change your life. Thank you again for taking the time to learn about God's word today. We hope you'll join us again next time on Assure Hope.